So it's an exciting day because, as you've heard, we're starting our third service this evening at St. Mary's. Very excited about it. You're all welcome. Even if you're not planning to regularly go, uh, if you can possibly come along tonight just to encourage the team, help launch something we think is going to be historic, uh, then please come along. It's going to be a different talk tonight, uh, so you'll get uh, both barrels. And, um, you know, I've never seen a stronger team go and plant anything than the team that's leading that service. I have complete confidence uh, in them. I'm going to be along there every time I possibly can. If I wasn't off speaking in other church this, this evening, I'd be there. Sammy will be there this evening. And uh, I've just given them three rules. I've said, you must, thou shalt, uh, love one another. Number two, thou shalt glorify God. And number three, thou shalt not destroy a thousand-year-old building. Those are the three rules. I said, beyond that, thou shalt do anything thou shalt want to do. And uh, so who knows what's going to happen. But uh, there's a lot of news out there. The church is declining, and I don't see much evidence. I see the gospel working, lives getting changed, churches getting planted, leaders getting raised up, new worship songs getting written, new ministries getting launched, people's lives getting changed, hearts set on fire for God. We're caught up in the kingdom of God, and the forceful people shall advance it forcefully. And so... We are not okay that most people in our city here are nowhere near a church today because we think they're missing out on the purpose of their lives and the love of God and the forgiveness of God and the kindness of God and the color and the hope and the beauty of God. So we want them to come to know God. So we're going to plant churches, we're going to preach the gospel, we're going to care for people, love people, fight injustice because we've got caught up in the very heart of God. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. So if you can come along to the service tonight, great. Um. This is the third in our Game of Thrones series. The first one was, uh, we thought about being sons and daughters of the king, uh, born to rule and reign with him. Last week, we thought about being servants of the king, called to lay down our lives for him and for others. And today, we are thinking about being warriors of the king, uh, commissioned to fight for him and uh, with him. And so my hope is that uh, if you are here today feeling that life is a bit of a battle right now and that um, you're under spiritual attack, uh, if you're here wrestling with temptations and feel like you're trapped in a sort of a cycle of sins, if you're here just longing for more of the kingdom of God uh, and for more power and more breakthrough, then I, I hope that today's talk is going to speak right into your hearts because we're going to talk about how to engage in the kind of effective spiritual warfare that, in the words of Bruce Coburn, kicks at the darkness till it breathe, uh, bleeds daylight. Amen? That's what we're going to go for. And uh, uh, I, I just a disclaimer right now, this is a massive subject as we talk about being warriors, we talk about spiritual warfare, we talk about the devil. We should probably do an entire series on evil. I know that would get you out of bed first thing Sunday morning, full of excitement to come and, and think about evil. Uh, but uh, we're not today, unfortunately, going to cover demons and deliverance. I'm sorry. We're not going to cover generational curses. We're not going to cover structures of sin, principalities and powers, environmental consequences of the fall, fasting. I'm not going to cover it today. I'm so sorry. I know you're disappointed. Uh, we're not going to cover territorial spirits. If you want to leave now, uh, if you want your money back, you can, I don't think you've given any money, but if you, get any, you can have your money back. But we, what we are going to do is a high-level uh, exploration of 
um, our call to be warriors. So let's turn to the classic bit of the Bible, Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start reading verse 10. And uh, the context, as you may remember, is that the Apostle Paul is in prison, writing to the church in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey, and he is chained by the wrist to a Roman soldier. And (laughs) I want you to imagine the humor in this. This passage, he, he goes through the armor of a Roman soldier as an illustration. And I want you to imagine, he keeps glancing at this bloke he's chained to. And the bloke's going, what, what, what are you looking at? What, what are you writing there? What? And he's, I'm writing, I'm writing the Bible. Uh, I'm just using your, but congratulations, you're in it. How do you spell your name again? So this is the scenario. Like all great preachers, he's just looking around and gathering uh, ideas from around him. So Ephesians 6, starting at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Today, God looks you in the eyes and says, be strong. Be strong. You're feeling weak. He says, be strong. There are times when my kids are going in to do exams. I say, son, be strong. You can do this. And you kind of see a little chicken chest sticking out. Yeah, I'm going to be strong, Dad. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. It's not going to happen to you. You've got to put it on. You've got to do it. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. What are you looking at? (laughs) So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, and with this in mind be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people." The Bible is completely clear that life is a battle in which we must fight. There is no Switzerland. There is no neutral zone. God bless the Swiss nation. We will either be victors or we will be victims, but we must fight. The Apostle Paul says, put on the armor because the devil's schemes are against you. And especially as those who have have declared ourselves follower of Jesus Christ, and not just people content to sort of turn up and do a little bit of sort of a few religious games, but those who are determined to see his kingdom advance and to use all of our strength and all of our imagination, all of our hearts, all of our money, all of our relationships, everything we can to see the kingdom advance. As those people, there's a big fat target on you because Satan hates the way you're seeking to live, the way you're thinking, the way you're speaking, the way you're doing relationships, the way you're forgiving people, the way you're repenting when you get things wrong. He hates it. If you're batting for Satan's side, you're not going to get too much spiritual attack. He's just going to be going, go on, son. But when you start to defy him, he is going to start, his scheme is going to be against you. So the Apostle says, put on the armor. He says it twice. And then he keeps saying, stand, 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 stand your ground. Because 
there is this great wave coming against you. And some of you know exactly what that feels like. The, the Christians are often uh, depicted in the media as terribly nice, but a little bit uh, naive. But the Christian worldview is not that. It is not airy fairy. It is actually far more like Game of Thrones than Downton Abbey out there in the real world. It is militant. It is even violent. That's the words of Martin Luther, the great reformer. He says this, we must all practice violence because he who prays is fighting against the devil and the flesh. Satan is opposed to the church. The best thing we can do, therefore, is to put our fists together and pray. Martin Luther would have been great on Twitter, wouldn't he? Put your fists together and pray. C.S. Lewis says a similar thing. Confronted with a cancer or a slum, he says, the pantheist argues Well, if you could only see it from the divine point of view, you would realize that all of this is actually God. Okay, so we're going to come back to that quote. But what he means there is this. There is a a worldview out there that rather than saying that we've got evil versus good, that it's all wrapped up in the same thing. It's the yin and the yang. There's good and there's bad all blended up together. And that God's in it all. God's in the evil. God's in the the good. Uh, And... um, and so that's, that's the view that C.S. Lewis is addressing. You see a cancer, you see a slum, you say, well, if you, you're just not seeing it right. God's in there. Just embrace God in the evil. And, and C.S. Lewis uh, says this, the Christian replies to this view, don't talk damned nonsense. <laughs> For Christianity, he says, is a fighting religion. It thinks God made the world, but it also thinks that a great many things have gone wrong with the world and that God insists and insists very loudly on our putting them right again. We must be clear, if we are to be biblical in our thinking, that there is a devil And there is darkness, and it does have a strategy against us, but that we are on the side of Jesus Christ, and we are to fight and resist and overcome evil wherever we find it. That's what I see in James Thomas. I remember James first really encountering the issue of human trafficking, not at a conceptual level, but a heart level. And he got so angry, and one time I interviewed him at a prayer meeting, and I said, how do we pray? And he just started weeping. This is a successful businessman running, I don't know how many companies... And he's there weeping, he's angry, and he's stirred because he has seen evil, and he's saying, we must fight it. We don't embrace it and say, oh, well, God's in there somewhere, let's just meditate a bit. He's saying, we're going to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is a warrior faith. And this isn't just me having drunk coffee, this is Martin Luther and C.S. Lewis. So there you go. And the Apostle Paul. Of course, belief in Satan and satanic forces can sound a little bit sort of primitive, in our supposedly sophisticated Western world. And yet, if you stop and think about it just for a second, it is all around us self-evidently. Firstly, just culturally, spiritual warfare is everywhere. Almost every great narrative in the Western tradition is a battle of spiritual warfare between good and evil, goodies and baddies, from Beowulf right the way through to the new Avengers movie via Harry Potter. It's warfare. It's the paradigm that makes 
most sense. And it's not just in the culture, it's in the news. Of course it is. Our hearts break, don't they, as we pick up the papers and see day in, day out, relentlessly, atrocities, genocide, terrible things done, evil things. That Sometimes the tabloids use that word, it's evil. There's a recognition of uh, the terrible things in our world. And yet it's not, it's too easy, isn't it, just to say, well, it's sort of, it's a, it's, it's, it's a theme in our narratives and it's in our newspapers. Let's be honest, the spiritual battle is in us too. We all know that. Probably at a level deeper than any of us would want to admit right now to anyone else in this room. We know, if we're really honest, our own capacity for terrible evil. And yet also splendid and glittering goodness. And so we wrestle temptation. We seek to get free of strongholds. We seek to overcome. And so this paradigm is sensible and logical, even when it sometimes seems primitive. I've just seen this in the last 36 hours of just ordinary pastoral ministry. So yesterday, Sammy and I went around to pray with a couple who shared that at one particular moment, every member of their family one night received uh, nightmares, just had nightmares, and one or two of them had never, I mean, haven't had those for years. And they just said, we we think this is attack. I've been praying around the house. And and, um, a little bit later today, Sammy and I are going to be with a businessman who's taken a stand against evil. Uh, he was basically enormous pressure was placed upon him to take a bribe. This is in the Western world, by the way, at a very high level. And because he refused to do it, he, his business is basically being crippled by very, very powerful people. And, and, and you see the battle. Or, or yesterday morning, about 11 a.m., I received a text message from my friend Johnny whose wife was about to be induced in a hospital in London, uh, carrying twins. And um, his text message said this, Pete, last night Amy had a dream in which you, that's me, were delivering the babies. Get to the hospital now. That was the text. I've never been more terrified in my life. I thought, oh, help. I've got three talks to prepare. I don't like blood. I've got to, you know, but maybe I should go. And then I suddenly had a moment of common sense and I phoned him. And I said, Johnny, there is no one in heaven or on earth that wants me present at this delivery. I would be hopeless. I'd probably need more gas and air than Amy. She doesn't want me down there, that's for sure. I don't want to be there. Is it possible this was spiritual? He said, yeah, it might be. I said, okay, now we're in business. And, and I said, let's pray. And actually, he began to share. He began to share that they'd been in the hospital 30 hours waiting to be induced, and they were feeling fearful because actually when you're carrying identical twins, it's a particularly dangerous uh, uh, birthing process. And, and he shared uh, just a number of things. And I, and I felt something rise up inside me because I knew God had spoken in this dream, and I started to speak truth to him. 
And I said, Johnny, you are not subject to the vagaries of our natural he- National Health Service. You are in the will of God. These babies will be born at the right time. You don't need to be fearful because perfect love casts out fear. And all things work together for good. And you need to claim that and stand on that. And these children have been knit together in Amy's womb. And his plan for their life is purpose, per- is perfect. And I began to pray it into him. And at the end, he said, Pete, that felt like a game changer. And then this morning at 4.45 a.m., look what happened. Yeah! Two perfect little twins. Currently named Pixie and Perky, but I don't know what they will eventually be named. All around us, we see the spiritual battle in our families, in dreams and nightmares, in children being born, in business, in our movies, in our newspapers, in the mirror. Spiritual warfare. This is not weird. This is, in fact, our reality. What is weird is that we've been conned into believing it's weird. And so let's just wake up to reality. You might say to me, well, Peter's all very well, but it does seem strange to me. I'm very aware that not everyone here is, is a Christian. There's a lot of people who, who come to Mass each week, and you're not Christians. I, 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 I'm so uh, full of admiration that you come because you're sincerely seeking God and wanting to find answers and make sense of things. And um, you, you are the most welcome people here. And so you may be saying, God, Pete, Satan, really? Demons? Come on. What about psychiatry and psychology and uh, hormones and all the rest of it? But let's just think for a second then about the movie Silence of the Lambs. Raise your hand if you've watched it. That's quite a lot. It's a horror movie. Uh, Don't advise it. I'm neither advising people to watch Game of Thrones or or Silence of the Lambs. It terrifies me. Almost every time I mention a film in a talk, within three days, someone comes and says, you know that film you told us to go and watch? (laughs) Absolutely. No. So anyway, um, Silence of the Lambs. And and you know that you've got Hannibal the Cannibal, uh, played by uh, Anthony Hopkins. And then you've got Jodie Foster playing this kind of detective psychologist trying to make sense of the atrocities that this man seems to enjoy committing. And at one point she says to uh, Anthony Hopkins, what happened to make you so twisted? And here's what he replies. Listen to this. Nothing happened to me, Officer Starling. I happened. You can't reduce me to a set of influences. You have given up good and evil for behaviorism. Officer Starling, you've got everybody in moral dignity pants. Nothing is ever anybody's fault anymore. Look at me, Officer Starling. Can you stand and say, I'm evil? Am I evil, Officer Starling? And the modern world struggles to answer that question because we want to say everything's, oh, you weren't parented quite right, or... You know, society's oppressed you in some way. And of course, as Christians, we don't look at anyone and say, you are evil. We don't, even want, we don't want to give the devil that much credit because no matter how hard he tries, every human being is still made in the image of God as a capacity for incredible goodness and repentance. If legion, you know, all those demons in him or just one lying demon, we don't know. But if legion could repent and fall at the feet of Jesus, don't tell me that anyone can't do that. 
So, no, we're not going to say that you're evil, Anthony Hopkins. But is there evil in your actions? Absolutely. Is it just because of behavior? No, there is something demonic at work that you've opened yourself up to. And um, one uh, scholar, he's not, I don't think he's a Christian, Andrew uh, Del Banco, who, who was voted by Time magazine as America's top social critic, he says this about that exchange in Science of the Lambs. He says, modern people cannot answer the monster's question. A gulf has opened in our culture between the visibility of evil and the intellectual resources to cope with it. We have jettisoned in the West the idea of supernatural evil. It's got harder and harder to say that holocausts and ethnic cleansing and serial killing are just bad psychological and sociological adjustment. Well, the Bible has no problem with calling a spade a spade, and when it sees evil, it says this is evil. Remember, Jesus Christ began his ministry in spiritual warfare in the wilderness, resisting Satan for 40 days. Remember, Jesus cast demons out of people. Remember, he taught us to pray, deliver us from the evil one. Remember, on one occasion when his disciples came back from a missions trip, he threw back his head and said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. This is Jesus who had clearly a cosmology and a view of the reality of evil that often even many of our church leaders seem to have abandoned in their supposed sophistication. The apostle Peter says this, be alert and of sober mind because your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The Apostle John says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So how on earth are we to stand against such schemes, this prowling lion? How are we to resist? How are we to overcome? How are we to fight? And I want to give you three quick keys. And um, I don't know if this helps you remember or not, but they all begin with W. So here we go. It's, we, we, I want us to talk about how we win, first of all, with worship, second, with our wills, and third, with our words. Okay, we win with worship, our wills, and our words. So let's think about this. First of all, we begin our spiritual warfare in worship in that our attention is not primarily on the enemy, but on the victor, on Jesus Christ. He is way above the opposition. This is not a scenario where you kind of got God over here, and then Satan over here, and they're kind of like duffing each other up. What it is, Satan is a fallen angel. So if you want to try and find someone on a level with Satan, it's probably the archangel Michael. God is far above even that battle. He is sovereign. He's in charge. He wins. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He turns bad into good. Even when Satan crucifies him, he rises from the dead. By the grace of God, you and I, though we were lost in darkness and sin and self-destruct, we were rescued and he overcame us. God is in charge. And so we worship, we fix our eyes on Jesus because we realize it's not just that he did something 2,000 years ago. His victory is guaranteed, and we're mopping up the mess with our lives. Amen? So there's that nice story, isn't there, about 
Jehoshaphat. He goes out to fight the Moabites and the Ammonites, and he sends the worship team in the lead. Now, I've seen a lot of worship leaders in my time, and they don't look particularly scary. They're generally men. I don't know why that is, but they're generally men in very skinny trousers. I don't know why. Maybe it's to get the high notes. I've never quite known <laughs> what that is. Generally bearded and, and, uh, and terrifying check shirts and, 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 and guitar straps. And I don't know. I mean, you might, you might have seen a worship band you'd like to send out uh, against the enemy. You might think you've heard a worship band that could slay the enemy. I don't know. But I don't think this story is us uh, is a sort of military strategy that we should tell, you know, Eric Martin to go and tell all the soldiers what you need to do is sing more songs when you're out there. What this is, is the Lord showing us that it is as we exalt his name that the enemy is pulled down. And it's not even just about us worshipping in terms of singing. It's about us keeping our focus on the victory of Jesus uh, Christ. It is better, John Wimber used to say, to plant seeds than to pull weeds. Better to plant seeds than pull weeds. Some people, when we talk about fighting in this battle, it's all about pulling weeds, getting demons out of people and sort of, you know, breaking things and cursing things. And, and, and once in a while, you're forced to do a bit of that stuff. But I think the priority is, how can I bless you rather than how can I curse something? What can I pray into you rather than what I can pray out of you? How can I build you up rather than pull something down? And so let's plant seeds wherever we can rather than pulling weeds. I remember when we first uh, sent our f- uh, first team out to, to Ibiza, you know, where such despicable things were going on uh, and continue to go on. I remember a, a godly, sort of mature pastoral Christian saying, you shouldn't send young people to a place like that. It's just dangerous. I mean, physically, but also spiritually dangerous. And, and we kind of went on the basis that the Bible is true. That he that is in us is greater than he that's in the world. That it would be possible to live more radically for Jesus in San Antonio than it would anywhere else on earth if we would just fix our eyes on Jesus. If we would go as worshippers. And I think over the years, I can't take any credit for this, but the team have proven that principle true. Living radically for Jesus. Often one of the keys, if we're going to be worshippers, worshipping warriors is whatever context God's put you in, try and discern what is the enemy doing and then just do the exact opposite because you've got the power to do that in Christ. So if there's a bit of a critical spirit, a lot of gossip at work, don't just think, I'm not going to be part of it. Actively go in and do the equal but opposite. Start to speak well of people. Start to affirm people. Start to speak the truth in love to people. If there's... um, a really unhealthy sexual environment, a lot of innuendo, a lot of unhealthy flirting, a, a, a lot of lust and, and whatever. Just go in and live with radical integrity. Don't get drawn into it. Clothe yourself in the armor of uh, Christ. If there are power games going on around control and who's dominant, you go in and serve and wash the coffee cups and just, just, just 
honor other people because in Christ we can identify what the enemy is doing and then have the power to do the exact opposite because we are not under the enemy's domain. We're under Christ's. Amen? And so um, keep our focus on Jesus. Ephesians 1 verse 20 says this, And God raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. Jesus is far above the principalities and powers. So, so respect them, but don't be too awed by them, because Jesus is far above all of them. But then fast forward. Ephesians 1.20, God raised Christ and seated him uh, there. Ephesians 2 verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Wow! So we are engaging in warfare. On one hand, we are called to look up and fix our eyes on Jesus. But on another level, we're called to look down because we are seated with Christ in heavenly places and we are looking down at principalities and powers because we are with the big man. We're with the one who's overcome. We have authority in Jesus Christ. And so as we live as worshippers, fixed on who he is and how supreme and sovereign and great and powerful and overcoming he is, we get caught up in him and live with greater authority. Does that make any sense at all? Okay, good. Don't be too impressed with the devil. There's that lovely story about Smith Wigglesworth. Do you remember? He's in bed one night and suddenly Satan manifests at the end of his bed. This big, horrible, scary presence. And Wigglesworth wakes up, takes a look at the devil and goes, Oh, it's only you, and goes back to sleep again. Or a little more radically, I hope this doesn't offend anyone, but Martin Luther again said this, I resist the devil, and sometimes it is with a fart that I chase him away. <laughs> I'm not making this up, and Luther said that. As I say, he'd have been great on Twitter. Some of the wives here are thinking, my husband does a lot of spiritual warfare at night. <laughs> Acknowledge the enemy, but don't be too overawed. We win with worship, but secondly, we win with our words. Our our tongues are so powerful. The book of James talks about that. The the things you choose to bless, the things you curse as a son and a daughter of God, seated with him in heavenly places, carry such weight. Some of you wonder why when you speak blessings, it doesn't carry more power. And it might well be because you're so busy cursing the wrong things. That the Lord says, look, do you want me to listen to you or not? But as we grow in integrity in our speech, we'll find our authority also grows in heavenly realms. And so in this passage, Paul says, the the sword of the Spirit, now that was a short little sword for hand-to-hand combat, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So, so we win with our words first and foremost by having the word of God on our lips. That's how Jesus did his hand-to-hand combat in the wilderness with the enemy, right? He, he quoted scripture at the devil again and again and again. And if Jesus chose to use the word of God, then I think we would ten times more be well to do the same. 
One of the reasons the Word of God is so powerful is because Satan's absolute essence is deception and confusion and manipulation. And so the Word of God is truth. And when we speak truth, it breaks up his mashed up, distorted, hacker's mindset with just the shining light of God's revelation, the concrete truths of how things really are. That's what I did with Johnny. Johnny, you may feel like this, but here's the truth. These children are going to be fine because God says so. Speak the truth. Speak the Word of God. Wield the Scriptures wherever you can. It's interesting to me that God often promises things in Scripture, but they're still not automatic. We have to pray them in. Some people say, well, God's spoken, so I'm just going to lie on my sun lounger and wait for it to happen. And then 10 years later, they go, why didn't it happen? God said, but did you ever pray it in? Did did you ever really pull it into reality? Because when God speaks, it's normally to reveal something he wants to happen, but we're in a battle and his word is contested. And it's our job as those who once used our free wills to eliminate the will of God to now use our free wills to bring in the will of God by saying amen to the things on God's heart. That's what prayer is. That's how it works. So we pray in the purposes of God. So Caleb was promised the promised land in the Old Testament, but he still had to fight for it. He didn't just say, well, I've been given the promised land. It needs to come to me. He had to go into it, and then he had to fight some battles to take hold of it. And at times, it was a bloody mess. You have to fight for the promises of God. You have to fight from the favor of God to the fruitfulness of God. You have the favor of God, the Word of God on your life, the promises of God on your life. Get hold of those, know those, and fight them into reality. The fact that God has said that they are what He wants means that you have phenomenal authority because Jesus says when you pray anything in accordance with my will, it will be done. And when God speaks, you know what His will is. And so you start to pray those in. You're going to see miracles, but you better pray them in because your free will has to engage with the will of God. Do you understand? Okay, so, so Caleb had to fight from favor to fruitfulness. We have to fight from the promise of God to the actual provision of God to bring in what God wants. We saw this in the first service. During the worship, something amazing happened. And uh, there was a prophetic word shared which just opened this whole flow. And, and God sort of hijacked our meeting a bit. And we ended up hadn't planned to do this, but praying for the children and youth. There was this word about parenting, children, young people. It's very powerful. Uh, and, and so we just kind of went with it. And we ended up praying for the youth workers, for our children's work, and for all of our kids and young people out at their activities, for parents. And it was, it was wonderful. And so in the coffee break, just before this service, I went to Matt Davis, our uh, main youth worker, and I said to him, Matt, I just want you to know this happened. He said, that's absolutely amazing, Pete, because I would say we just had our single most powerful discipleship time we've ever had with some of the young people. I was thinking, where did that come from? I said, well, where that came from was the Holy Spirit spoke, and we prayed it into reality. Do you understand? God speaks. We don't just go, that's nice, a word about children. We prayed it in. We said, you said it, now you do it. Okay, so we win with the Word of God. I remember uh, at one stage I worked in a particular environment. I won't say where it was, but it was extremely dark. It, it, it was very, very difficult and complicated. 
so social dynamics, but also spiritual dynamics. Those two are always going to be linked, right? And, and I, was, I was just finding it exhausting going into work in this place. And a friend just advised me, he said, pray through the armor of Christ. I used to cycle into this particular place. It was about seven miles. So it was a, uh, for me, that's about a three-hour cycle ride. And, uh, <laughs> and so I would pray the armor of Christ. I'd say, okay, Lord, today at work, just give me the helmet of salvation. Just save my thinking today. I need that because my mind gets mashed up. And put the breastplate of righteousness. Keep right relationships today. Help me. And God, I want the sword of truth today. I want because I so easily get sucked into these weird ways of thinking that everyone has. And God, I want to pray the shoes of the gospel on my feet. I'm going to preach you because I know ultimately the only hope for this place isn't a bit of good HR. The hope for this place is people to come to know you, and I'm not going to be ashamed. So give me opportunities. I'm going to use the shield of faith, and I'm going to use the sword of the. Do you understand? I prayed it in. I, I clothed myself. I put on the armor. I didn't just think. There's armor out there. It will appear on me. You know, like um, Iron Man in the Avengers. He just kind of goes, and he's suddenly dressed in all of the armor. It ain't like that. You have to put it on. Put on the armor of Christ so that you can stand. If Paul was being a bit less encouraging, he'd have said, and if you don't, you're going to be fried. Put on the armor of Christ. It is yours. Pray the word of God. Elijah, we're told, was a man of faith, and he prayed, and it didn't rain for three and a half years, and he prayed again, and it did. We saw that when we started out in Ibiza, since we're talking about Ibiza today, the Vision Course students are out there right now. I remember turning up at this restaurant, and uh, it was up in the hills in Ibiza, and they said, um, we said to them, how can we pray for you? And they said, well, could you pray? we're in the middle of a massive drought. Could you pray that it rains? And I thought, oh, rats, that's a really big prayer. That's one of those prayers, I mean, we're English, like weather, out of control, you know. <laughs> Do you think we'd choose this climate? Uh, you know, and, and also it's one of those prayers they can tell if it gets answered, you can't blag it, you know. But what do you do? So we all prayed, God, please send the rain. And, and, and as I was leaving the restaurant, I received a text message from someone in Russia, St. Petersburg, saying, I don't know why, but I feel like 1 Kings 18 is for you guys. And I looked it up, and it was this, I will send rain on the land. We just prayed for rain. And as we drove off, I still remember the first splats of rain appearing on the windshield. And it's a dusty, dry place. It's like the windscreen wipers, like mud at first. And it began to rain. It didn't stop raining for about two days. And it was the moment of a massive breakthrough that we started to see signs and wonders. Uh, and, and, and I later looked it up, and it hadn't rained like that in Ibiza in that month since 1976. So you can say it's coincidence, but sometimes it's less faith just to believe there is a God who answers our prayers than it is to believe in fate, whatever that is, and luck, and all those other things. Take authority in prayer. Some of you, I believe today, the Lord wants to challenge you with your authority as one seated with Christ in heavenly place. Authority in your workplace. Do you know you're not there just to do a job. You're there as a priest, a prophet, and a warrior to bring God's purposes. That your, your business should be blessed because you are there. God's spoken it. Now you pray. And have you got the word of the Lord for your business? What about your family? I don't want to be sexist here, but men... 
Are you actually praying for your families? Are you taking authority for your families? Do you know that when you make choices for God, you actually bring the purpose of God not just into your life, but into that of your wife and your children? Are you standing as a watchman on the walls and a gatekeeper for your family, or are you just drifting through life? Take authority as one called and raised up by God. The most powerful word that you can fight with is the word no. (laughs) Sometimes we just need to not get too complicated and just say no to temptation, no to sin. The scriptures say resist the devil and he will run away. Just no, don't flirt with it. Finally, I've said that we win with our worship and we win with our words, but we also win with our willpower, with our minds, with our thinking. There's a battle of the heart, that's the worship bit, There's a battle of the mouth, that's the words bit, but there's also a battle of the mind, that's the will. What does that mean? That means, for example, we decide to live by the truth of what God says rather than the things that we just feel to be true at any given moment in time. So you might be feeling today God's a million miles away, but the Bible says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. So you've got to decide, you're going to believe what you feel to be true or what the fact of Scripture says. You may be thinking, I've messed my life up and I'm a hopeless case, but the Bible says that you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, so you've got a straight choice to make today. You're going to believe what you feel or you're going to believe the fact. You might be thinking, my life's going nowhere and I'm missing out all the time. But God says through Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Are you going to believe the facts of God's word or the feelings? And once you've got the facts, pray them in. You said it, now you do it. Don't give the enemy, I just want to draw it together with this, don't give the enemy a foothold, Paul says. And often that foothold comes in our minds, in our wills, in our thinking. Use your will to resist the devil. If you give the enemy a foothold, you know, what's a foothold? It's just a little bit that you're rock climbing. You just get your toe in there. Don't let him. He will come at you, but don't let him get a grip on you. Martin Luther once said, you know, you can't stop the birds circling around your head, but don't let them nest in your hair. You know, don't give the enemy a foothold. If you give the enemy a foothold, I'll tell you exactly what he'll do, because he's territorial and aggressive. If you give him a foothold, he'll turn it into a stronghold. You know, no one wakes up one morning and says, I'm going to commit adultery today. They allow a foothold that becomes eventually that stronghold. No one wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to be unbearably arrogant for the rest of my life. They allow a foothold of pride that becomes a stronghold that determines their entire existence. The Lord wants to break strongholds because he has won that we might live with such freedom that people look at us and see the resurrection power of Jesus Christ if we're going to fight battles out there we must win them in here in our thinking do be careful about violating your conscience you know when your conscience troubles you and you ignore it it just dies a tiny bit And that's why if you keep violating your conscience, eventually it will go numb and you'll stop feeling guilty about even the most terrible things. 
Your conscience is one of the greatest gifts of God. Cherish it. Nurture it. And if you've damaged your conscience, ask the Lord to restore it through repentance and transparency. Let's just finish. It would be great to get the band up, please. And I'd love us to pray. And we're just going to pray first for our hearts, and then for our mouths, and then for our minds. So, if you'd like to do so, would you just put your hand on, on, your, on your heart? Okay, let's pray together. Jesus, you are the Lord of Lords. Help me to worship you throughout this coming week. Help me to remember that I am seated with you in heavenly places. Help me to fix my eyes on you, Jesus, this week. And now would you put your hand, please, on your mouth. Lord, I want to speak your words this week. Help me to know what you're saying and to pray it into being. Forgive me, Lord, for where I've been critical and negative in my speech. Let me be someone who blesses. Let me be someone who prays. And now let's just put our hands on our heads, shall we? Lord Jesus, I want to think your thoughts this week. I want to live by the truth of what you say, not just what I feel to be true. Lord, where I've given footholds to the enemy in my thinking, I ask that you would just fill them in. Lord, where there are strongholds in my life, Would you set me free? In Jesus' name.